Welcome to Soundbreaker. I'm your host, Bob Shammy, and we are about to break the silence. Join me as we go behind the scenes and meet some of the most influential names in the music industry. Get ready for remarkable success stories that break the norms and defy the odds. From dreams to success, from challenges to victory, an exclusive backstage pass into the lives of music trailblazers as they create their own path to success. This is Soundbreaker. Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Brian Zisuk, who is a legend in the music industry. Thanks for joining us. And for our listeners who might not be familiar, and if you're living under a rock, obviously, if you never heard of him, <laughs> might be not familiar with you. Would you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about what do you do before we dig in into it? Yeah, well, first of all, Bob, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out. Uh, I'm humbled by the uh, the word legend being attached to my name. Um, it, it I, I won't lie, it feels great to hear that. Uh, but nothing I, less, my friend. Nothing less. <laughs> my parents always told me, "Let other people brag for you." So uh, with 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 glee. Uh, to answer your question, Brian Zisuk, otherwise known in the music business as Z. I co-founded AudioMac 11 years ago, and I currently serve as our SVP of operations, overseeing the day-to-day -day operation of the business, as well as all of our relationships with our licensed partners. So that's distributors, record labels, and the millions of independent artists who use our platform directly. I heard over 30 million. Is that correct? That is correct. Over 30 million monthly active users globally on AudioMac. Amazing. That is definitely amazing. Um, Brian, we're going to go back a little bit uh, and, you know, to history and say, hey, or go back in time. How did you first get started in the music industry? Great question. So I uh, walked onto the campus of Illinois State University hoping to get involved in television. I'd already identified MassCom as an area of emphasis. But the school doesn't let you get involved with TV until you're a junior, and I didn't want to wait two years. So I walked down the hall in the building that the TV station is in to the student-run radio station, WZND. Mm. I asked how I could get involved, and as fate would have it, there was an opening for a DJ slot from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. that weekend. So uh, I volunteered for it. They uh, trained me the next day, and I did it. I loved it. And almost immediately, I started working with record labels and publicists and artist managers, and they were sending me music and sending me to concerts. And I thought, this is incredible. And I've been hooked ever since. Wow. Really amazing. So this is where it all really started in college, being a DJ. And yep. have you DJed before or not really? This was the first time you started putting records and mixing and, you know. Yeah, no, I, I never done it. Uh, they trained me on the boards. Uh, at the time, we were using carts and vinyl. There were no uh, uh, MP3s. Uh, there was no streaming. Uh, I learned all of it in, in you know, a four-hour training session and then on the yeah. job, really. Uh, I yes. went from being an overnight host to a uh, semi-overnight host, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and then I finally graduated to the uh, 10 p.m. to or excuse me, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. slot. I moved up the uh, the corporate ladder, so to speak. And uh, while my radio career did not pan out, it definitely was the foundation for my work in music. Wow. 
You found your passion. Amazing. Um, Brian, uh, your journey in the music industry has been incredibly diverse, from co-founding DJ Booth to establishing AudioMac. Uh, can you take us back to the early days and share what inspired you to, del to deliver into digital music publication space? Like what made you go to, to publication? Yeah, great question again. So, you know, I was conducting interviews while I was yeah. working in radio and we would identify artists that we wanted to speak with. We would book the interviews myself. And at the time, my co-host Rod Lake, we would book the interviews. Uh, we'd conduct them after thorough research. We would chop them up and we would air them live on our radio program on Saturday nights. And mm. we knew that there was a fairly limited audience uh, on a college uh, campus. And so my idea was, let's turn these interviews into a podcast. So I'd like to say that we were very early uh, and figure out a way to stream them online so that more people could get their ears on these artists who we were trying to help break, many mm -hmm. of them independent. And uh, I met my business partner, who at the time was a cold email away. His name is Dave Mackley. Uh, mm -hmm. And I said, look, uh, let's figure out a way on DJ Booth to yeah. stream my interviews and I'd be happy to write reviews and um, uh, other types of articles. And uh, he loved my idea. We reformatted DJ Booth uh, and made it into my editorial playground. And Bob, like at the time, it was just a passion. I, I'll be lying to you if I said that I knew it would become um, a, a full-fledged business. And a business. Career. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of people after this interview, whoever, you know, a lot of our audience. So. Yes, yes, you will. Um, AudioMac is known for having, um, you know, artist first approach. You know, artist comes first, which is not always the same, you know, kind of ideology in this business. Right. Uh, especially in, the, you know, the music streaming world. What drove you and the co-founder, David, uh, am I right, David? You're, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cr to create uh, a platform which prioritize, you know, prioritize artists. And how did you uh, believe it has reshaped the music uh, streaming landscape? So Dave, myself, and, and there's actually three other co-founders. There's five of us, uh, at least oh. on the audio Mac side. Um, oh. We identified uh, a problem in the marketplace, which was at the time, artists were haphazardly releasing music online using file sharing sites, which were never built with the intention of aiding musicians. It was a terrible user experience. Uh, the links would die, you get pop-up ads. And on the creator side, you had no way to track your audience. You had no way to determine who was uh, downloading and uh, listening to your product. Yeah, uh, We had attempted uh, for a brief period of time to turn DJ Booth into uh, both an editorial uh, magazine as well as uh, a platform where artists could host their music. But that was not our core competency. And we knew that we needed to spin that off into an entirely different company. And so we created AudioMac with the intention of providing artists with a free platform wherein they could upload their music with no limitations in mm -hmm. terms of the amount of storage, or the number of uploads. Uh, and again, like with DJ Booth, uh, I'd be lying to you right now if I said that 11 years ago, I knew then that we would be in the position that we are now, which is 30 million plus 
uh, monthly active users globally. We just yes. saw a problem and wanted to find a solution, and here we are uh, uh, 11 years the, later. The fascinating part, you, you don't just settle for one thing. You keep innovating, and you yes. keep expanding, and it's like, how can we reach another level? How can we do this, and how can we do that? I, I guess this is why you're still here, and you know now, and you, you have 30 million users, active users. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, you know, you often hear the saying, uh, "Staying ahead of the curve." Yes. And in uh, music and technology, or, or the the Venn diagram, the overlap between the two, you can't just stay ahead of the curve. You almost have to be be the curve itself. You have to uh, adapt and change before you even know you need to, because someone else is going to likely come along yes. and knock you off. Correct. That's why you didn't settle for that term. You know, if it's not broken, why fix it? Right. Let's keep <laughs> fixing it. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, with this extensive experience you have, uh, you've done over 500 interviews with industry professional and artists. Is there a particular interview that you've done uh, or a moment stands out to you? So many. Uh, Share so some I, stories, please. Yeah, We're I need to know. I, I became addicted to to doing interviews, and you know, in part, I, I'd like to give credit to my late mom. Um, you know, she imparted in me that a great conversation is about being a good listener, uh, not necessarily doing the talking. And doing those interviews helped me become a better listener. Uh, and I'd like to think just an all around better communicator. Um, mm -hmm. But to answer your question specifically, uh, I, I interviewed Proof, uh, one of the rappers in Eminem's group D12 and Eminem's best friend, about a week before he was tragically killed. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was the last interview that he had conducted. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. always meant something to me. Um, but I, I mean, it's been a who's who. I, I was able to interview Cypress Hill uh, at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, I interviewed Big Sean uh, inside of a family bathroom at a, a reggae venue in Chicago. Wow. Um, I interviewed Gucci Mane uh, on the phone while he was serving one of his prison sentences. Um, you kidding me? <laughs> no. Uh, 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 esteemed Gary Indiana rapper Freddie Gibbs used to call into my Saturday night radio program. And we would we would put him on live and beg him before the stop set not to swear on air or else we would get fined. Uh, yeah, the list goes on and on. That was a really great time in my career. You know, if it was back in the day, I would say to you, I would come say, hey, why don't we take all of these segments and put them on a DVD and set them out? Yeah. People, you know, that was a big thing back in the day. It, it, it was. If you remember, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have not listened to any of these interviews in years. Uh, yeah. In part because I don't like the sound of my own voice, but also because um, you have a great I'm, voice, buddy. Oh well, thank you, thank you. Uh, yes. But may, maybe I should. Maybe maybe Bob, this is the motivation I need to dig through those uh, digital. Absolutely. Files. I mean, I don't know. If I'll put them on DVD now, but definitely release them on the <laughs> yeah. streaming platform. Right. Maybe Amazon or others. Absolutely. It's a classic. They are classic. Definitely. People will thank look you. for them. Yes. Um, the, con uh, the content partnership that you created, you and your partners or co-founders, between DJ Booth and AudioMac in 2020 was pretty major, you know, very major thing. And especially for the independent industry, you know. Can you tell us about the dynamics of this partnership and how uh, it contributes to the growth of success of both platforms? Sure. So up until 2019, uh, I worked full time on DJ Booth. Uh, so. Yeah. You know, that was 14 years uh, 
DJ booth was my, my main priority. Uh, at the time, AudioMac's growth uh, was undeniable, though. We were seeing mm-hmm. tremendous XUS growth. We took off uh, like a rocket uh, in sub-Saharan Africa and the Caribbean. And it almost necessitated that I moved my, my time and attention away from DJ Booth and toward what we were building uh, on AudioMac. Because up until that point, I, I only served to the company as a consultant. And so what was most important to me is the bedrock of DJ Booth was always artist education and written editorial. Mm-hmm. And so the partnership allowed us to move our full-time team from DJ Booth over to AudioMac to help create educational content for the AudioMac platform, but more so for the AudioMac community, which is made up of bedroom artists and hobbyists and uh, aspiring acts who don't understand how to navigate this insane industry. And it allowed DJ Booth to live on while syndicating this original first run content uh, on AudioMac. I think though the most important thing for me was all these people who made what we built at DJ Booth possible, Mm-hmm. The partnership gave them full-time employment continued uh, at AudioMac. Yeah, amazing. Um, again, on 20, you know, last year, 2022, you were selected to join the Recording Academy as part of their new member class, uh, recognizing your contribution to the music industry. Uh, how did it feel to be acknowledged uh, at this level? And what would you personally like to bring to the Recording Academy? For years, I actually railed against the Grammys and the Recording Academy uh, for being completely tone deaf and out of touch. Out of touch. Yeah. (laughs) And I I think everybody reaches the point, uh, either personally or professionally, where you could either complain about something or you could be a change agent. And, uh, you know, in my case, the latter presented as a more attractive opportunity. And yeah. so being a part of the organization, uh, participating in a lot of their philanthropic efforts and yeah. their educational efforts on the ground in markets like Chicago uh, mm-hmm. appealed to me. Uh, what, I, what do I hope to, to, to do with that opportunity? I, I think just impart wisdom in the old guard who perhaps historically has undervalued the multicultural audience that we've been mm-hmm. able to capture at Audio mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, all the best. All Thank the best. You. And we wait to see. Um, uh, so far, you had an incredible journey. Uh, the music industry, known for its challenges and setbacks. Can you share a difficult moment you faced in your career? Uh, you know, and how did you overcome it? The biggest challenge for me was probably the one that I faced before all of this even got started, which was... I went to school for mass communications with uh, an emphasis on broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate and privileged that my parents were able to send me to school uh, with the help of a few scholarships that I earned. And, you know, I wanted to do right by them and the hard work that my father put in for years saving up for me to go to school. Um, yeah. But after working in radio for a very brief period of time post-graduation, we're talking like eight months. Um, I was very unhappy. The reason, Bob, that you and I are bald brothers is during that eight month period, every follicle on my head uh, escaped. And so uh, at the time I was working on DJ booth, but we were not generating a substantial amount of income to the point that it could be my full time occupation. And 
I said to my, my mother and my father, what do you think about me doing this full time and not pursuing radio any, any further? Yeah. At the time, the idea of making money by working on the internet, writing about music and interviewing artists was not heard of. Uh, and they were like, go for it. And so I stopped sending out my air check tapes to radio program directors. And I spent 80 hours a week working on DJ Booth. And uh, it, it turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Wow. I mean, you followed your gut feeling. That's I did. it. And your passion. And that's, that's the whole thing. A lot of our listeners who are going to be inspired and follow your footsteps, this is a message. Absolutely. Follow your gut feeling. Thank you for sharing. You're very inspiring. Uh, in your opinion, um, what is the common misconception in the music industry that people have about the music industry, actually? So many. There's so many misconceptions. Give and us a few, please. <laughs> I, I try to dispel them on, on uh, my Twitter feed every day. So, you know, the most common, I think, is the idea that you're just one manager or one A&R or one mm -hmm. label away from breaking. Uh, and the truth is, is that in 2023, what you need is an audience. Uh, a, a great manager, a great label, a great A&R, these, these are all assets. The, these individuals and entities can help you on your journey, but without an audience, uh, you have nothing. A manager and a label cannot manufacture an audience for you. They cannot make people resonate with your music or like you uh, as a human being. So I think that that's a significant misconception. Another is that the idea that a budget will cure your your ills uh, and that all you need is is money or access to money and then you'll be a star. Uh, there are artists on labels who have access to million dollar plus budgets and those budgets have been earmarked in a variety of ways and they just sometimes don't work if the music doesn't connect. Um, and then specific to streaming, the idea that you just need to get on the right playlist or get your music heard by the right curator. Uh, what people don't realize is that most streaming consumption through playlists mm -hmm. is done passively, not actively. And rarely does it translate into increased following uh, and listenership. And so, yeah, these are just three of the most common, in my opinion, uh, that mm -hmm. I see on, on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. I'm sure much more. We'll probably need much more time, but it's an interesting <laughs> Yeah, we interview. need another hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you know, collaboration often is a key element in the music world. Uh, could you share uh, a memorable collaboration a story of someone you work with or that left an impact on you? I, I think the most memorable and the most valuable uh, collaboration yeah. is the one with uh, my almost 20-year business partner, Dave Mackley. Uh -huh. uh, he and I worked together for a few years before ever meeting in person. Uh, we, we started our relationship on the Internet. Uh -huh. So there had to be a tremendous amount of trust for, for that relationship to get off the ground. Yes. Uh, he's, he's savvy and smart and extremely forward thinking. I have great respect for um, what we've been able to build. Uh, he is the CEO of AudioMac and uh, undeniably responsible for uh, most of what we've achieved as a, an organization. I think the key to any great uh, collaboration, whether it be a partnership or otherwise, is uh -huh. just an inherent trust in one another. And uh, he and right. I have that, and that's rare. Uh, it's rare to have that with someone for almost two decades, uh, in, in, at least in this business. Amazing. Uh, you're a great speaker, my friend. So there's three oh, things. Thank you. <laughs> great listener, great communicator, and a speaker. <laughs> and the Bob. awards goods too. <laughs> Bob, stop it. Brian. Brian Z.
<laughs> you know, we're going to have to create awards because of you and give them away. We're going to do that. Love it. Uh, technology has significantly changed the music landscape in our industry. And how have uh, advancement in technology influenced your work in the music industry as a whole? Well, I think technology has been, at least specific to music, uh, a gift and a curse. Uh, the, the gift, of course, is that the barriers to entry into this business uh, have been lowered to the floor. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas before you needed financial backing, access to a recording studio, uh, physical manufacturing distribution, that's all gone. Uh, and so for you know decades, there were truly talented artists who, because of a lack of means or opportunity, never got a career off the ground. And that, that, that is no more. Uh, on the flip side, though, uh, because it's so easy to get into the industry now, you can uh, download a DAW uh, yourself, uh, turn your bedroom into a home studio setup, Correct. and yeah. uh, use a no or low cost distribution model to get your music out to the world. There's so many more artists, or at least those aspiring to be sure, uh, sure. in the marketplace. And so all that change has occurred, but what hasn't changed, Bob, as you know, there's still only 24 hours in a day. And Correct. humans have a finite amount of time to consume media. And so the competition for our attention is so much more fierce and on demand at, at all times. Yes, well said, absolutely. Um, how do you stay updated, Brian, to the latest trends and innovations out there and changes in the industry? Like what we're doing right now, I, I'm constantly having conversations. Uh, one of the things that I did very early on that I still do to this day yeah. is I try to pick everyone's brain if they're willing to give me a, a few minutes of their time. And yes. so I've, I've been fortunate enough to build a substantial network over 20 years. And mm -hmm. so I'm constantly talking to publicists and digital marketers and A&Rs and booking agents and promoters and agencies and asking them, you know, what they're seeing in terms of trends, uh, what their pain points are, what their wins and losses are, their struggles, what mm -hmm. artists they're really feeling. And through these conversations, I feel like I'm really able to stay uh, in the in the know, so to speak, as as yeah. hard as that may be these days. You know, I don't ask my um, uh, you know guests that, but I'm going to ask you, what's you think next in the music world, in the music industry? Is things going to stay the same? Is the aggregators going to? Is this whole thing of aggregation? I don't want to say gatekeeping, but there's also the platforms where I allow any artist anywhere in the world if you have. If you're able to pay 10 or 15 or $20 a month or a year, they have certain subscription. You can upload your albums or singles. So, but what's next? Is things going to be this? Uh, how's it? What's the transformation that social media has uh, influence on it? They see how TikTok is growing, growing big time, you yeah. know, like taking over almost. And then you got reels and you got shorts and you got other platforms, social media platform that used to be news platforms getting involved also in the streaming, whether it's con visual content or audio music. In your opinion, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, you have a crystal ball, just I, this is the kind of information I'm always striving for right. to see what's next, like, you know. Well, from the perspective of someone who oversees the operation of a streaming service, what I what I would say is, yeah. uh, historically, the labels and distributors have put the impetus on the platforms to be responsible for hosting all these files. So we're responsible for covering the costs of uh, the hosting and the bandwidth, and we mm -hmm. we bear the burden 
of ensuring that these hundreds of thousands of products that are delivered daily are mm -hmm. correctly mapped to artist profiles. Um, and because of the, as you said, flat rate distributor model uh, where it allows artists to upload however many DUI. songs they want, yes. uh, yeah. it's become quite unwieldy. And so what I can see moving forward is the barrier to entry either having to cost more or there being some sort of off-ramp after a period of time if artists who make their music available on a service don't actually generate any streams. Uh, because not only is it a burden for the platform, but it's not a great user experience as you're leaning in actively trying to discover new music, having to navigate through this sea of endless fluff. Um, mm -hmm. it, also, obviously, uh, the integration of AI into that was my uh, next question. It, How, into music How AI going to change all of this? Yes. Well, yes. immediately what we're going to see is uh, even greater influx of music being created and delivered to these platforms. If right now the average on a daily basis is in excess of 100,000, um, this will enable, you know, uh, millions of creators around the world to create, you know, four or five, six times as much as they would if they had to do it all themselves. But uh, and it's not a not good thing. Well, not not to interrupt you, from what I heard lately, certain companies, certain aggregators and certain DSPs, well-known ones, they already have their own, suppose, built their own technology to identify, you know, if this is an AI-made or human-made, you know, supposedly, I don't know. But again, how would you do that? Because most producers use samples, use, uh, you know, modules and sounds and sample things and to put a sound together. Not everything is played live. You know that. You know, right. Unless you are a rock band. Right. And, and to add on top of it also, what happened recently that Spotify, again, has thought um, implementing or enforcing starting next year, I think, first quarter, I don't know if it's March or January, they're going to start with the two. If you are anything less than 200 streams, you're not going to get paid for it. So is that something also discouraging for upcoming new artists? Like, you know, nobody makes money instantly on, on any of the streaming platforms. So it's, there's a lot of mixed messages and a little bit, a lot of, should I say, a lot of mishmash happening in the industry now? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think obviously a lot of these new rules uh, that Spotify is going to be implementing that they have yeah. already sort of announced. Yes. Uh, these are decisions that are heavily impacted by their relationships with the major labels. Um, and, you know, the, the fewer dollars that are being yeah. allotted to the independent community means that the rest of that revenue that's being pooled is paid out to their preferred partners. Now, to be clear, AudioMac is a partner of these same uh, licensees. Uh, whose music is available on our yeah. service. Mm. Historically, though, similar to the way that we had to adapt through the Napster era, I think that there's a lot of learning going on in terms yes. of uh, behavior of the user, consumption yes. habits. I, I do believe uh, the intention beyond uh, reallocation of funds uh, mm -hmm. is to clean up the platform uh, because of everything that we've talked about already, there is a tremendous volume of music on these services where there isn't even one play accounted for, which means that the creator couldn't convince their mother or father uh, to take a listen, right? So, so go ahead. Like, how do you tell new artists then? 
you know, who maybe song number 10 could be a hit or song number 50 could be a hit. You know, he has maybe 49 flops or he, her or she, him, whatever. Right. And number 50 or 51 is a hit. Yeah, I think you just tell them to keep on releasing music. I, I don't think anything that Spotify has announced thus far suggests that any music would be removed immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of monetization, you know, ultimately as an artist, your intention should be to play the long game uh, because it's going to take a while to procure an audience. And yeah. the difference between having a career and having a moment is the patience that's necessary throughout that process. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm an artist, though, and I'm reading these headlines, I am concerned uh, because it's already hard enough to generate revenue through streaming. And now you're telling me that I have to clear this hurdle. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would tell artists, don't get discouraged. And uh, you don't have that problem on Audio Mac. You can, mm-hmm. if you choose, circumnavigate a distribution a partner, uh, upload directly to our service. You can apply for AMP, which is the Audio Mac monetization program. And we pay you directly, uh, no matter how many streams uh, you uh, uh, accrue. Absolutely. You heard it first to all our listeners. Audio Mac is available to yes. everybody. Absolutely. With the leadership of Brian Z. Thank you. Or Zisuk. <laughs> you know. Um, Brian, we need some help here. You know, yeah. uh, the, a lot of our listeners are going to be listening and be inspired by you. And Devona. some of them are going to follow your footsteps. Some of them want to make their own mark in the industry. We need some tips, some help, some motivations, what to do, what not to do. Please. Yeah, I think the two most important things uh, for any artist, in my opinion, aside mm. from uh, hopefully procuring a, a, an audience based on on the quality of the music and the connection with it, is organization mm. and accessibility. Mm. Um, because everybody is doing this, right? They're, they're, they're doing this, right? Um, you, you need to be able to come across as organized, meaning like you have the same profile photo on your DSP platform uh, profiles as your social media. And everywhere that you have a profile, you have an email address or a contact information uh, Mm -hmm. link available. Uh, That way, no matter where someone's entry point is, they can find out easily more about you or go deeper down the rabbit hole. So if someone first comes into contact with you on TikTok, that story might end for them and for you as the artist, if they don't know where else they can find out more about you, you don't have any other profile linked to that account. You have no information in your bio to find out more about you or, or to contact you. So yeah, that, that, those would be the two biggest uh, tips I could give is get yourself organized and make sure that you are accessible. So if a booking agent or a prospective manager or a prospective social media manager wants to connect with you and work with you, they don't have to spend more than 30 seconds finding out more. Great. To all our Soundbreaker listeners, these are great insights. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Um, Before we wrap it up, uh, it's really an interesting interview again. I would love for it to go longer, to really to dig in. You have a lot of great information, a lot to give. Thank you. Anything that upcoming uh, in DJ Booth or in, uh, you know, in the... uh, in your other company, anything that you want to, you know, uh, Audio Mac that you want to really uh, talk about, something you're working on, you're building for everybody to anticipate? Really excited about our Audio Mac.
Creator app. We launched it last year, and it is basically the Audio Map Creator dashboard, but in an app environment. We recognize that for a lot of young creators, uh, no one's going to bookmark websites on desktop. Uh, mobile web is inefficient. And so the Creator app allows you to do everything in an app environment. Creator tools, advanced analytics, download promotional assets to share on social media, send connect messages so that anyone who follows your account on the service can receive a communication from you. You can update your profile photo, add social media links and a bio. If you're directly amped, you can cash out directly from the app. Um, we feel great about this product that we launched. Uh, it has grown month over month, every month for the last uh, 22 months. And that's only going to continue. So it's truly excited about the creator app. And I just think generally our philosophy is creator first, empowering our, our content strategy and marketing team for a very uh, a hyper local focused approach to artist amplification and discovery. So rather mm -hmm. than this broad spectrum approach where you assume that the same person in Chicago is going to listen to the same songs in Miami. We have mm -hmm. people all across the country and across the world who know these local markets better than anyone and are super serving our audience in those local markets with the newest and latest and greatest sounds coming from them. Amazing. Amazing. Audio Matt. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, I yes. guess all great things come to an end. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Bob. Take care. My pleasure. This podcast is presented by Music Dash, world's first AI-powered independent distribution CMS. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.